Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp, the host of this show. Hopefully my co-host Blake Alderman will be here in a few minutes, but we're running into some timing issues with Dan Mullen's press conference on Monday coming up. So I wanted to go ahead and get things started. You know, as we have said in the last couple of days, we're going to try to shoot sort of an instant reaction podcast on Sundays before we've had a chance to go rewatch the game, kind of give you the raw feedback from what we saw from inside the stadium on Saturday nights and then you know, as we have the chance to take a closer look at the film on Sundays, uh, I'll come in here and provide you with kind of my takeaways from that. Obviously, I'm not a football expert, uh, but I think generally when you have the chance to to sit down and watch things a little bit closer, you see things that maybe you didn't the first time. You see some things off the ball that maybe could have affected a play in a way that you don't really recognize when you're watching live. So I'm going to go ahead and just kind of give you some of my initial takeaways from Saturday's game, and I think you have to start with the quarterbacks, right? Um, Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson obviously both got involved quite a bit against Florida Atlantic. We talked about it on Sunday's episode yesterday. Possibly a QB controversy going forward. We'll have to see how things play out. Uh, but I think when I went back and rewatched it on film, to be honest, my my impression that we talked about yesterday uh, didn't really change a whole lot. You know, I think when you dig behind the numbers a little bit, you look at Anthony Richardson. Uh, you know, and if you're trying to parse it based on the numbers, you say Emory Jones, 17 for 27 passing, only 113 yards, you know, but the completion percentage there doesn't look too bad. You look at Anthony Richardson, only three for eight. You might say if you didn't watch the game, oh, that's not very good passing. Well, really, when you look at the game tape and you start to break down those eight throws that Anthony Richardson had, uh, quite a bit more impressive than I think that three for eight passing line. You know, I thought the one throw that really stood out to me is a really, really good throw was down in the end zone to, to Xavier Henderson on that slant route, uh, was able to throw it right over the linebacker. Now, got to be careful there a little bit. You know, better teams, more athletic linebackers might be able to jump that route and, uh, you know, potentially put you in pick six territory. But, I mean, the pass hit Xavier Henderson in the hands. That's a catch that has to be made. So that's one drop, you know, that Anthony Richardson in his five incompletions was credited with. Um I thought he threw another really, really good ball to Khalil Jackson uh, late in the fourth quarter. Seemed like they were really kind of trying to get him involved on the day that his grandfather was being honored as one of the first black players, black scholarship players for Florida in the swamp. Um, But really a throw that I thought he threaded it, you know, on the run for Khalil Jackson on a fly who had gotten a step past the corner. Really good throw. Got it in there in in the, you know, the area before the safety could come over. And, you know, Khalil only was able to get one hand on it, so it was going to be a tough catch. Uh, But I thought that was a throw where only his guy could catch it, gave you a chance to go up and make a play deep. Again, to me, that goes down as an incompletion, but that's a very, very good throw from Anthony Richardson. And then um, two other drops out of the, you know, the five incompletions he had. So you're talking about four out of the five passes. Quavian Frazier's dropped a comeback route. 
And then Demarcus Bowman, I thought uh, Anthony Richardson actually led Demarcus Bowman relatively well on a screen pass or sorry, rather a swing pass to the left. And Bowman, I thought, kind of got his eyes, you know, in the defensive backfield and was running a little bit before he caught the ball. So you're talking about, you know, four throws where, you know, if even half of those go complete, you're talking about Anthony Richardson now probably having a touchdown pass, you know, somewhere in that 100 yard range uh, where all of a sudden, you know, from a number standpoint, it also becomes clear that Anthony Richardson probably had a lot better outing than Emory Jones. Um, but that's not to say that I watched, you know, rewatched the game and came away feeling like Emory Jones was just a complete disaster. Uh, I, it certainly wasn't a good performance. And I, I think anybody would tell you that. Um, but I thought there were a couple things that stood out. You know, one of the things I noted on Emory Jones, a throw that, you know, nobody will really look back on. But early in the fourth quarter on a drive that ended up stalling, uh, Emory Jones had a third and three and really, really made it a point to go through his entire progression. and then. You know, once he realized that after, you know, his first two to three reads downfield were kind of covered, he starts to pan to his right to uh, to the back, which was Damian Pierce uh, in the right flats. And you can see that he wants to go there. It's just the amount of time that it took between seeing that route and then and I've got Blake joining me here. So uh, let me finish this thought and then we'll we'll loop Blake into it. Uh, But the amount of time that it took just to to kind of get that pass off to the flats, I thought. You know, that's something that that Florida is going to have to work on quite a bit with Emory. It just the ball wasn't coming out quite as quick. But, Blake, I see I have you here. Let me uh, switch over and make sure that we've got the setup going the way we want it to. And uh, how you doing today, man? Good, man. Hanging in there. All right. So I was just getting getting talking about the quarterbacks a little bit. Um, you know, what I was saying is basically I, I didn't see on the rewatch a whole lot of things that changed my opinion uh, of what we talked about yesterday in the quarterback battle between Emory Jones, between Anthony Richardson. You know, when I went back and watched Anthony Richardson's play, uh, he was only three of eight passing, but four of those five incompletions were balls that I thought should have been caught were placed in, in a really good spot. Right. Um, I, I guess now that you've had 24 hours to kind of sit on it, uh, are you feeling any differently? Are you feeling like maybe we are overly harsh on Emory or did you come away pretty much, you know, where I am, where, you know, looking through it, I thought the rewatch didn't show a whole lot else, you know, that I might not have expected. I don't really feel any different. I think I'm okay with seeing how the USF game goes. You know, is it first game jitters? Is it nerves? Is it this? Is it that? I don't know. I think there are some some mechanical things that are wrong with Emory Jones, accuracy issues, things that have just been issues there. And, and Dan Mullen's great with quarterbacks. You know, I think there's ways he can figure out things to work around it. But nothing really has changed my opinion. Yeah, you know, the the release thing is interesting. And I'm, you know, the first thing I said when I jumped on the podcast today was I'm not a football expert by any means. So these are these are kind of just my casual layman's observer, you know, notes. Um, but I did see a couple people notice that that Emory Jones's release, the ball seems to stick to his hand a little bit. And it seems like that's maybe the reason for some of those passes going low. I don't know if mechanically there's things that they can fix there. Uh, Blake, I thought to me that the thing that showed up more when I was going through the rewatch was, you know, even plays where Emory does a good job of going through his progression. It just still seems a little bit slow in that time where it clicks from, OK, I've made my decision to win the balls out. And I thought that was one of the things, you know, when we covered Jeff Driscoll, that was really true. You know, he was a guy that could read the defense, kind of knew what he was looking at. But then for whatever reason, when you got into the games, it just didn't translate at the speed it needed to. And right now, that's kind of where I'm at with Emery. I think, you know, when you listen to Dan Mullen's confidence about him at the quarterback position, I think that speaks to Emery's obviously telling him, you know, the right things in terms of what he's seeing on the field going through a progression and all that. 
It's more just the execution. And I guess, you know, I guess there's two ways to look at that. First, you know, if you have the knowledge and you know what you're looking at defensively, then then I think there is probably the potential for you to, with more experience, with more game reps, improve that timing, that speed. And then the other, I guess, view would be that's kind of an instinctive thing and is is really hard to fix. Where do, where do you fall on those two? I mean, is this something that, you know, if Jones does have all the knowledge, it's just a matter of time before it starts to look better? I think that I, I think there's some merit to that. I think that if you give him some time, some more game reps, um, you know, sure, he's played in games before, but he's never really been the guy. He's never had to been, you know, the one who's had to figure it out. Usually he comes in, you know, it's like, oh, here's a design run play for Emory Jones. So um, I, I think that the fact that he seems to know, you know, what he's seeing out there, what he's reading, he seems to it seems that Florida knows that they can go farther with him in the playbook with him would, would rather than uh, Anthony Richardson. So I think if you give him some game reps, you continue to let him play things out. You know, now that I, I believe you said it last week on the podcast from week one to week two quarterbacks make their biggest jumps. Yeah. So now I think that you know what you, what, what you're going to get, what you're going to do. And I think this week of practice, they can start to put in things. They can, you know, Hey, this is what we're seeing. This is what you need to work on. And then you can go out there for that USF game, and then you can continue to go on. The bad thing for Florida is that Alabama is on week three. Normally right. you have those bigger games later in the season or, or more towards the middle of the season. So um, they're going to have to work quickly. I, you know, I just thought Emory was trying too hard, to be honest with you. I, I thought there was very much – it appeared to me like he was playing intentional, you know, at quarterback in the, in the sense of really kind of going through his reads um, – you know, and, and it was almost like if, if you don't have read one and you don't have read two, all of a sudden you probably need to take read three. And I think, you know, and then and then I think there was also a little bit of staring down the first read, too. Um, but I think if I'm Dan Mullen this week and, and, you know, we'll talk to him here in the next hour or so to see what he says. But if I'm Dan Mullen, I'm telling Emory Jones, I thought you played a little too tight last week. You know, let it rip. Get out there. Let it rip. We have confidence. You know, you heard what I told everybody on Saturday after the game. You, you're going to hear what I'm telling them Monday. You're our guy, man. Like, you're not going anywhere. So I think he's very much going to take Dan Mullen the same approach that he did with Felipe Franks. Give him that extra long leash. And then in these first two, three weeks, really try to get Emory just to get out of his shell and play the way, you know, he can. I mean, it's just playing fast, I think, is the biggest thing. And so if I'm Dan Mullen, I'm saying, hey, go out there and play fast. You know, that, that to me is the biggest key. I agree. I think that's the best route as well. All right, Blake, let's talk a little bit about the O-line. Um, I know going into the year, I wasn't super high on this group, and we talked about why. I'm not sure where the ceiling is for this unit. But I have to say, for the season opener, I thought they were pretty good, you know, considering you lost your two best linemen from a year ago, at left tackle and center, arguably the two most important spots on the team. I guess first and foremost, Blake, I, I thought Richard Guraj and Kingsley Aguacoon were really good. I, I thought, you know, the fact that you didn't really show them a whole lot on missed assignments, missed blocks, I thought it was a good night for the O-line overall. I thought they had a good night too. I think that, you know, you brought up a good point in the last podcast that, you know, a lot of the up the middle type of runs trying to go towards the center of the line, that's where they more struggled than anything. They got they had more success around the outside, but I was surprised. I've always been really negative on the offensive line. I've always said that, you know, that I, I thought that they could have more. I thought they need to re recruit the position better, but I think overall, you know, is it, is it just because it's FAU? It, there's a lot of season left to go, but I thought they played really well. You know, I, and I thought going back to rewatch, one of the things that I took away was, I, you know, watching the game live, it seemed like all of Florida's successful runs were kind of to the outside, like you said. 
we weren't really sure if they got a whole lot of movement inside, could really run the ball inside. And when I went back and watched, it looked like Florida really was more heavy on on zone blocking schemes, which really, for the most part, you're not asking your line to displace the defensive line off the line of scrimmage a whole lot. You're not just trying to go out and blow them off the ball. It's really more so kind of slant blocking. You double a certain point, you know, with two offensive linemen, and then you have one of those guys slip off and hit the backer. And that creates a crease for the back where he's able to get into the second level and you've picked up at least one of the linebackers. So theoretically, he's only got to make a linebacker safety miss. And and knowing that, you know, you're not expecting to see them kind of blow you off the ball. That's not really what they're trying to do. So I thought that was worth noting. Um, the other thing I thought that caught my eye, Blake, I thought both of the guards looked very good pulling. You know, Stuart Reese was a guy that last year we kind of thought would be more of a dis- difference maker on the O-line. And, uh, you know, for reasons that we ended up finding out after the season, maybe wasn't. Um, he looked a lot smoother pulling, I thought, you know, was much more effective pulling around the hole, creating creases, uh, you know, setting that outside edge when they pulled left, that kind of thing. Um, I think the weight loss that he had last season or, you know, in between from last season to now was pretty evident. And I think that makes me more encouraged that this line actually has a higher ceiling than maybe we thought, you know, if he's a guy that can be a difference maker. And then the other thing I thought, I thought really both tackles played pretty well. I thought on the very first play of the game and, and, you know, subscribers on swamp 24 seven that have gone through the play by play breakdown, picked this up right away. You know, I mentioned John DeLance on the first play who I thought, uh, maybe didn't quite shed his block and get to the next guy that he needed to quick enough. That was really the only thing I noted on John DeLance the entire game. And for, you know, for an O lineman for a tackle, that's pretty good. And, you know, I'm not saying it was perfect. I'm far from an expert evaluator of O line play, but I thought overall it was a pretty, pretty encouraging performance from the O line. And I think Florida can certainly build on that going forward. Does that change your opinion? I mean, I, I doubt it does just because it's, it's one game, it's one sample size. But there's been a lot of questions on the offensive line from seeing their performance. Again, I know it is one sample size. What are you what are your thoughts going forward on them? Well, I still think the I think the ceilings capped a little bit. And I think um, I, I don't have a whole lot of confidence that Florida will be able to run the ball through the tackles against an Alabama. We'll see. Um, I think that Florida is going to have to get very creative, kind of drawing things up. But really, Alabama and Georgia, I think, are probably the only two teams that physically you know, you're expecting you're probably going to lose that matchup. Um, and so, you know, that's really going to boil down to, you know, the the difference making that Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson can have kind of being explosive when things break down. I think that's going to be real key. Um, but for the most part, you know, I, I would have liked to see Josh Brown a little bit more. He got involved a little bit late. Didn't see a whole lot from him. Um, but I, I don't know. I, th- I thought overall for a first performance, it was pretty good. And Nothing that you would lose confidence with if you're, you know, those O-linemen. I think, if anything, you probably built some confidence. And, you know, we'll see where that goes. Like you said, Alabama in week three has the potential to derail a lot of things. Uh, but overall, I thought it was good. Um, I guess real quick, Blake, before we take a break, uh, the only other real thoughts I had on the offense, uh, I guess skill players we should kind of talk about. I thought the running backs were good. I thought, you know, Malik Davis showed good vision. I thought all the backs were really good in pass protection. I'm curious to see what Florida builds out of this split backfield two back set that they've had. Uh, for the most part, it led to outside runs, kind of sweet plays and stuff like that. But I guarantee you, Dan Mullen's going to be drawing up some wrinkles off that tight ends. I thought Kimori Gamble was a little bit up and down as a blocker, especially through the first three quarters. Uh, just didn't quite make a solid contact as I would have liked to see in a lot of those instances. But then he redeemed himself on Anthony Richardson's 73 yard touchdown pass, had the key block to kind of spring him there. 
I did think Keon Zipper was terrific as a blocker. You know, there were several plays where he didn't necessarily have the key block, but was one of two or three guys right at the point of attack who really kept his defender engaged for a long time. So I was pretty, I was pretty encouraged by that. Would like to see more of Zipper going forward. Ultimately, at the end of the day, Blake, I think Florida's quarterback play has to improve for us to really judge those skill positions. You know, there were times where Trent Whittemore was open in the slot and Emory Jones threw it behind him or threw it low. That's got to improve if Florida really wants to be, you know, successful going forward. But again, for a season opener, I came away like I did a lot of times with the offense. Um, never as good as it seems, never as bad as it seems. You know, there were a couple things Emory did that I thought were real positives. The pitch play to Damian Pierce for his touchdown was a play he checked into. Um, I thought there was another play. I want to say it was first quarter. might have been the first drive. Uh, Emory Jones really stood in the pocket and took a hit to convert a third down, I believe, to Jamarcus Weston. So those are the kind of things you like to see. There was positives to build on. If you're the coaches, there's a lot of different clips you can take and say, hey, you did this really well. Or, hey, you did this part good, but we need to finish this a little better here. Um, let's take a quick break, Blake, and then we will uh, get back talking a little bit of the defensive side of the ball. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Blake Alderman. Blake, I want to talk about the defense. I think my impression of what the fans came away with was that the defense really isn't fixed. There's a lot of issues still. i got to be honest with you. I went back and rewatched, and if you're breaking it down, I mean, for all intents and purposes, Florida had it shut down until it was 28-0. It was a shutout until that point in the game. Not that Florida was perfect, but again, I don't know if we have unrealistic expectations of defense at this point, if our predisposition to think, you know, Todd Grantham is maybe a problem for this defense leads us to, you know, overly emphasize every play that an offense makes. But look, like, offenses are going to make some plays. I thought Florida... You know, to the point that it was 28-0, played a little bit, Ben, but don't break. But then they didn't break, and they made the key plays when they needed to. After that point, you're into a little bit of garbage time. I really thought it became very clear that Florida played a lot of prevent defense on those two scoring drives, was really just trying to run the clock and get out of that game. Um, Like, I guess two takeaways I, I, I had from that that game, and, and you can tell me what you think. One, I came away thinking the secondary still has a lot of question marks. 
I think a lot of the guys outside of Kyrie Elam and Trey Dean were up and down in my book. Avery Helm being a big one. Uh, I was a little surprised that guys got behind him as many times as he did, and Florida was bailed out um, at least two to three times that I can think of offhand by throws that were errant deep down the field. Um, better teams are going to hit those, and those are going to be a problem for Florida. So I think the announcers talked about that third spot being kind of an ongoing revolving competition across from Kyer Elam. Uh, I, I think that that's going to be – that's going to be something Florida has to figure out. I don't know if Jason Marshall's the answer. I thought Jadarius Perkins looked pretty good, but he's playing kind of more nickel. Uh, my other takeaway, Blake, was that despite the secondary looking a little shaky, I thought the front seven really, really showed up. I thought you saw Florida's depth of edge rushers, the impact that they're going to have. Um, so those were kind of my key takeaways. Where did you end up with the defense coming out of that game? I'm in the same spot. You know, I heading into the game, I was worried. Not, uh, I was concerned if I had to pick one area for Florida, the cornerback opposite side of Kyer Elam. I think the safety, they're just a lot of young, different pieces, you know, outside of Kyer Elam. And then you've got Trey Dean, who, who has been what he's been. You know, he's been a guy that's made some plays. He's been a guy that's, that's had some mistakes. Um, I, I really like Rashad Torrance. I think his physicality he brings at the safety position. I think I, I really like that. Um, but the front seven, I agree with you. I think they're going to be a real problem this year. Like, and, and that's a good problem. I mean, um, I, I think they're going to cause a lot of problems for other teams. Um, I really like the, I really like their performance. And I really think that those, those guys that they got from the transfer portal on that interior part of the defensive line are going to be what really, really takes that unit over the, over that hump and really lets them be able to play. I was thinking, and we were watching the game, you know, what if Florida didn't land some of those guys, you know, yeah, that would be, disaster. that would have been, that would have been really disaster for the yeah. defense. Let me ask you, Blake, because uh, I was going to note uh, kind of my observations of those new guys, some of the new guys on the interior. What did you think of Daquan Newkirk, Antonio Valentino, and I guess we even saw a little bit of Tyrone Truesdale? I didn't see much of Truesdale, you know, at least just, I mean, obviously I know he played in the game, um, but I think the one that stood out the most to me was Daquan Newkirk. I think that he was really athletic. I think he showed some really good pursuit. Um, there was one play to where he could have had Perry down as, for a sack, um, was credited for a QB hurry. I think those are the types of plays Florida's going to need. They're going to need someone that's that disruptor back there that can really get to the quarterback and really make things problematic for them. And I thought that that was a really good play for him. That really jumped out to me. Yeah, I thought I thought you could see he has some explosiveness. I'm a little concerned. I, there were two snaps, I think, where against a, a more mobile quarterback or a better quarterback might have gotten Florida into trouble just in terms of keeping contain on his pass rush lane. I thought he freelanced a little bit trying to get to the quarterback, try to get a sack when, again, that's not going to hurt you necessarily against an FAU, but in a, in a game against, um, you know, a quarterback that can run a little bit and, and hurt you with his legs, that could be a problem. The other thing I, I wasn't quite as impressed with Daquan Newkirk as I thought I might be. Uh, I really didn't think he did well holding up against double teams. I thought he kind of got pushed around a little bit on those. And, and Blake, it's worth noting that, you know, he was banged up a little bit in fall camp. I believe he had a little bit of a groin injury. So who knows if he was 100%. I came away a little less impressed with him. But I got to be honest with you, Antonio Valentino is a guy that I maybe thought was more going to be just kind of a nose, you know, eat space, you know, kind of what we're talking about with Truesdale almost. And I thought he flashed a lot more. I thought there were a couple times he got backfield penetration where you could see it instantly affected Nikosi Perry, kind of got him off his spot, forced him to react a little bit quicker. Uh, I was pretty encouraged by Valentino. And then, the, the, the you know, where Daquan Newkirk, I thought, struggled a little bit on double teams. I thought Valentino was really good. And then Truesdale, I think, obviously, is the guy. He's kind of like your boulder in the middle. You know, he may not move forward a whole lot, but he ain't going to move backwards a whole lot either. 
right. you know, was a, a real big guy. So obviously still trying to get him up to game speed in terms of both the playbook and physically. Um, but like you said, I think that, you know, Florida needed to get those guys. And, and, you know, even Desmond Watson, we saw get a little bit of action. I thought looked good. Javon Dexter gets on two fumbles. Yeah, I think you've got enough bodies there. Again, I go back to that front seven, and you talk about if they can get, you know, they don't even need difference makers to me on the interior. And you've certainly got potential difference makers with guys like Dexter and I think Valentino. But if they can get those guys to just be solid and just hold the point, between the edge rushers and the linebackers, you're going to have the chance to make a lot of plays in the front seven. Yeah, absolutely. Those guys were, you know, you can't really comp- compliment how good those guys were for Florida in the offseason to get. All right, Blake. Well, we got to wrap it up soon here. I know this is going to be a little bit of a shorter episode because it took me a little longer to come up with the film review than uh, than I expected. But a few other things I want to talk about on defense real quick, and let me maybe pose one to you as a question. Season openers, tackling is always a big focus. It's always an issue. What did you think of that Saturday? I thought for the most part, I thought it was pretty clean. Um, I think there's definitely, you know, some, there were, there's sure there was a couple plays, but again, it's a season opener, but I thought for the most part, um, it was really good. You know, I've seen a lot of other college football games and you could see the evident, you know, that, you know, those sloppy, you know, kind of diving plays or not wrapping up correctly. I thought for the most part, Florida played really well in that regard. I agree. I thought when you're actually talking about guys getting arms on a ball carrier and wrapping up, there wasn't a whole lot of broken tackles in that sense. I thought if anything, um, bad angles were maybe a little bit more at fault for some of the misses. I thought breaking down in space is something that Florida will have to work on a little this week. You know, Diabate, I think at least twice that I saw kind of got caught running outside without really chopping his feet and breaking down as he got near the ball carrier kind of allows them to bounce back and slip. you. I thought once or twice in the backfield, you saw a running back do that as well. So the angles I want to see get better. I thought Trevez Johnson a little bit shaky for my taste in terms of taking some of those angles. Uh, Mordecai McDaniel was another one that I thought very active player, but probably is going to need a little bit of time to just get used to the speed of the game in terms of, okay, now that you've adjusted your angle, here's how you break down, here's how you make the tackle. And then Avery Helm was another guy that I thought a couple times on kind of that short screen game. Maybe could have taken a better angle and not tried to reroute under or around, um, you know, a, a defensive back rather than trying to go through them or sorry, not a defensive back, but a receiver, a blocker. Um, so I, you know, those things I think can be coached again. I think that points to some youth in the secondary, but Blake, I got to say trading. I really was impressed with him at safety. I thought he was around the ball quite a bit. Good tackler brings a lot of energy. That's the kind of attitude I want to see from Florida safeties that I think was missing the last couple of years. Just the guy that's going to be there, going to be physical. If you're talking about problems you can have on defense in week one, I would much, much rather have a team that is flying around and maybe misses a bad angle here or there, you know, misses a tackle because of that, rather than going in soft to make a tackle, leaning back on your heels, getting run over, that kind of thing. To me, when you come out looking at this, you know, this rewatch of the game, I didn't think the secondary was all that bad uh, in terms of tackling. You know, obviously the coverage we're going to see against teams that can test them a little bit more. But to be honest, I thought it was a pretty good game when you're talking about starting defense before you really get into that garbage time where you're kind of playing prevent mode. I agree. I thought they played fairly well. You know, not a perfect product, but, you know, when you look back at 2020 season, you know, this was definitely a lot more of a positive regard. All right, guys. Well, that's going to do it for us today. I've got to get to a Dan Mullen press conference here pretty shortly, Uh, but we will be back on Thursday breaking down the South Florida game which will be in Raymond James Stadium. I want to say it's Florida's first time playing USF in Ray J. 
Um, could be wrong I on that. Believe so. I mean, not that I can recall at least. Yeah. So uh, that'll be an interesting one. Uh, looking forward to that. You know, I don't think USF will probably provide quite as much of a challenge as even FAU did. So I think it's going to boil down to, again, a lot of the things that we just talked about in rewatching the first game. Florida's coach has got to point those things out, you know, work on them. And I think this is really a, a chance to kind of shore up some of those little issues before you get to Alabama. But we'll be breaking all that down on Thursday, talking about some of the matchups, giving you an idea of what Dan Mullen had to say in his press conference that's coming up momentarily. For now, guys, that's going to do it for the Swamp 24-7 podcast. Be sure to leave a favorable review if you like it. Like and subscribe on YouTube, and we will see you on Thursday. Thanks for tuning in, guys. moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.